morning. How are you all today? Good. So today we're in Proverbs 6. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. It's going to be great. I'm going to read about the first half of the chapter. So let's read together. Well, don't read with me, but read with me on the screen. Proverbs 6, starting at verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Uh, Let's pray. Father, uh, as we come to the preaching of your word today, we ask that you'd be with our hearts. We pray that you'd give us understanding. We pray that your words would sink deep into our hearts and change us. We pray that we would learn wisdom from them because you intended them for this purpose. I pray that you would bless me as I preach and that what I say would honor you and would be true to your word. And I pray that you would bless every heart here. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's a lot of different things, isn't it? All in one giant package. Uh, This is a set of three warnings about how to destroy your life, or how not to destroy your life. So three warnings against self-destruction, against the kind of person you could become, the kind of man or woman you could become. And we need to see the way that we're all tempted to be all of these things. So the first thing, oh, and and by the way, I just want to say, these all look ahead to the end of chapter 8. All of these things are related. The end of chapter 8 in Proverbs says, For whoever finds me, that is wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Self-destruction, right? That's what this is about. Okay, here's, here's the first. It's this person who puts up security for your neighbor, give, gives your pledge for a stranger. So what the Hebrew actually says, a better translation is, uh, if you become surety for your neighbor. Has anyone ever heard that word? Maybe in a legal context, surety? It's not a word that we use, right? That's, that's why it's not in this translation. It's not a word that we use. Um, but surety... Surety is like when you say, I'll become legally liable for someone else's debt. The Bible has a lot to say about debt. Proverbs has a lot to say about debt and about how it can go bad when you get yourself in debt. 
But this is not actually the guy who goes into debt. This is the guy who says, oh, Al, yeah, Al, buddy, what's up? Well, hey, you know, uh, you know I wanted to um, buy this house, but my credit's not that good, and we've been pals for a long time, and could you just, you know, co-sign? Would you mind? Well, I mean, I guess for Al, I would. You know, Al's a good dude. I've known Al for years. I like Al. Why wouldn't I co-sign for Al? I mean, let's not think about it too hard here. It's just trying to be a bud. Sure, Al. I'll co-sign on your loan. Co-sign. Now you're a surety. What does that mean? Well, if Al is not such a good guy after all, Al doesn't pay his, Al doesn't pay his loan. Al can't pay his loan. Al decides, eh, you know what? You got this. Thanks for signing. That's it for you. You could be financially ruined. Bank's not going to come after Al. They're coming after you. You're in the crosshairs. You entangled yourself in something you had no right to entangle yourself in. You signed. You made yourself legally obligated to pay a debt that wasn't yours. And that's why it says, you're in the hand of your neighbor. You're in, so, but I just said, I just said um, did you notice it says, uh, uh, you've given your pledge for a stranger in verse 1? Well, I just gave you an example. Al's not a stranger. <laughs> I've known Al for years. So stranger, stranger doesn't mean someone you don't know. Stranger means like, stranger means like, like uh, Al is someone you have no right to give the reins of your life to. In terms of putting all that you own and the good of your family and your financial future under someone's thumb, guess what? Al is not that guy. Al is a stranger. Stranger danger. It's the same as the adulteress. The first time we meet the adulteress in Proverbs 2, she's actually literally called the strange woman. The strange woman. Guess what? That doesn't mean that you don't know her. (laughs) It means that the only person you have a right to give yourself sexually to is your wife. Every other woman for that purpose is a stranger. Make sense? So Al's a stranger. Doesn't matter how well you know him. Al's a stranger. So, okay, I don't know how many of you have been asked to co-sign a loan like that. I've never been asked. I don't really feel tempted. I don't think if, if my buddy Al, Al's not real, by the way, if he came up and asked me, Ben, co-sign, I don't think I would say, sure, Al. I think I'd say, no, I don't. But what, what's the way that I'm tempted to do this? What's the way that you're tempted to do this? How does this apply to you and me? So it's kind of like when Jake talked about the gang's invitation. At the very beginning of Proverbs, the dad opens with, when, when sinners entice you and they're like, join our gang. What's your gang like? Well, we like to kill people, and then we take their money. It's awesome. Well, okay, no one's tempted by it, but we're all tempted by something resembling that, actually. We're all tempted by violence, by a thrill. We're all tempted by things that resemble that. So what tempts us here? Um, here's, here's the most obvious version, and uh, not thinking of anyone in this room. This is just a thing I've seen. I know it's a thing. Uh, you marry unwisely. You marry unwisely. Uh, yeah, you start dating Bob. Bob. And your family's like, Bob? Like, why are you dating Bob? Like, are you trying to be unhappy? And you're like, Bob's really fun to be with. And your pastor's like, here are these things, these sins that we've all seen in Bob's life, and it doesn't, it doesn't look like he's dealing with, with them. I don't think you should be dating Bob. And you're like, if you only knew Bob's heart. Bob is a good guy. And, and your friends are like, you know, you've changed since you've been dating Bob. It's not, it's not good. It's not good. And you say, 
You're not, you're not my real friends. If you were, you'd want me to be happy. I'm happy with Bob. So you marry Bob. And then you realize, oh no, now I'm married to Bob. Now I'm married to Shirley, whoever it is, whatever it is. You realize you're actually legally caught. You're caught in a marriage covenant in the eyes of God and man that you can't get out of. And your life is now under Bob's thumb. And if Bob is what everyone warned you he was, your life's not going to be happy. In certain key ways, you've put yourself in the hand of someone who can't be trusted. Okay, there's an example. That's an intense example, but it's a lot more common maybe than co-signing on a house loan. It's not hard to think of someone who married Bob or someone who married Shirley. I don't know. If anyone here is named Bob and Shirley, I'm sorry. Um, so what about, what about something that's like, let's, let's, let's lower it from that intensity and let's think of something that we can all relate to, no matter what. What if, what if you just, what if you give money, what if you give money to Shirley, your friend Shirley? You know, she, she started, she kind of fell on some hard times and she, she started asking you for $20 and you felt bad and you were friends, you know, pay it forward, right? And I don't know. Didn't, you didn't really like that she asked you for $20 that way, but at the same time, you are friends, so you give her $20. And then she comes back. Then she comes back. Could I, I just, I could really use $20. Well, okay, Shirley, I mean, I already gave her that the first time, and I kind of feel like I created an expectation, and I would feel bad. I feel bad because we've been friends, so I'm going to give her a little more. Well, pretty soon, what do you have? <laughs> you have an emotional entanglement that you don't have any right to have. Shirley doesn't have a right to your $20. You're not helping Shirley. That $20 is probably supposed to go to your family or someone else who actually would be helped by it. But you know Shirley's not being helped. Shirley's just going to keep coming back to you again and again, right? Pretty soon you resent Shirley. Friendship's gone. What if you give it to your, to your kid? They, they lose their job. Looks like they're not going to make the rent payment. They're not doing what they need to do to get another job. And you're like, I don't want them to be evicted or something dumb like that. I just, here's the money. Okay, what if it happens again? What if next month, still no job? Well, now you didn't sign a legal contract. You didn't make a marriage covenant to give your son or daughter money or to give it to, you know, your fifth cousin. Whoever it is is asking you for money. But you feel entangled. You feel emotionally entangled. And you feel, you feel responsible. And you're under that person's thumb, aren't you? You're under that person's thumb. And they can drain away from you time and energy and money that God knows ought to be going maybe to your own family, maybe someone else, maybe a missionary somewhere. I don't know. But you know you ought not to be doing that. You're in that person's hand like they've got you and you let them get you. You might not have thought about it. Maybe at first you were like, yeah, this is helpful. This is good. This is helpful. This is good. I'm doing the right thing. I'm a good person. Pay it forward. And then you realized I didn't really think about what this was going to do to our relationship. <laughs> like, I didn't really think about what this would do to my life, to my family, all the repercussions. I didn't really think about the fact that I feel just caught, right? And then you realize you're caught. What if, it's, what if it's an even smaller thing? Some of you like to volunteer for stuff. A lot of you like to volunteer for stuff. I like to volunteer for stuff. I have to watch out for this kind of thing myself. When I was in premarital counseling back in Bloomington, one of our pastors he likes to tell this story about his son, who's a guy my age, but in high school, they were at a wedding, and they were, about, they were getting ready to go home from the wedding. They drove there as a family, and someone asks the son, hey, could you help us clean up after this wedding? Take, what, an hour, hour and a half, two hours? I don't know. The son's like, yeah, of course. 
What's the problem? Well, his dad drove him there. He doesn't have his own car. And so what's that going to mean? Now the rest of the family has to stay like an extra hour, two hours, because he just said, yes, of course. Of course I'll help. Of course I'll help. Didn't think about it. So his dad said, no. (laughs) Find someone else. Since you've made an obligation out of this, find someone else. Find someone around here, one of the other guests, one of the other young men to take your place. And then tell them, sorry, I have to go with my family. This guy's going to take my place. Get free. Get free from that. So he did. (laughs) That's an easy example. We all do things like that. We all make these choices that pull in other people in ways they didn't plan on. They resent that. (laughs) We didn't think about it. But suddenly, you know, now my wife is exhausted and she's resenting me. That's happened before. Um, and, and I'm like, oh, I, but I felt like I had to, sweetie. You know, I felt like I ought to. And, but what about me? You didn't think about me? <laughs> okay, I didn't think about you. Did you think about it? No. I just felt like I ought to. Well, <laughs> you can't just not think about it. You can't just give yourself like that, right? Your life and your resources belong to God and God's kingdom. I think, I think I've said it several times. I have, uh, this phrase is what came to mind as I was reading this passage and trying to understand how this surety, this guy who puts up a pledge, applies to you and me. You have no right. <laughs> you have no right to do this. Why do I say you have no right? Your life, your body, your emotions, your money, it's a trust from God. You didn't create it. You didn't give it to yourself. God gave it to you. You, you have no right to put yourself in an unhealthy and self-destructive situation. Now, you may get put in an unhealthy and bad situation that you have to work through. Circumstances beyond your control happen to us all the time, right? But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what you get to choose, what you have control over. And your life and all you have belongs to God, You need to be building God's kingdom. You can't do that under someone else's thumb. It drains what you have to give. It makes you unable to give to others. The bank forecloses on your house. Where's your generosity now? Where's your generosity now? You don't have it. You you ain't got the means for generosity. Your house is gone. Your stuff is gone. It's gone. And you're not allowed to let that get stolen from you like that. You have to be wiser. You have to think about what you're giving, who you're obligating yourself to. Uh, and uh, I'm, by the way, I'm not talking about not taking risks. Marriage is a risk. You just do the best you can, but there's no way to know 100% of all the things you're going to run into when you marry someone. You married your wife? You didn't know she felt that way about the toothpaste tube? You know, that's dumb. But there are things that aren't dumb, like things you didn't know, and things that she didn't know about you, and Oh, she was not ready to deal with your emotional neediness at certain points of the month or something. It's just like, I did not know this when I married. Well, that's okay. That's part of marriage, part of the risk. You do the best you can to take the right risk, and then you live with it, right? And you take risks with people. Well, do you give to this missionary? What if they're a scoundrel? Well, you just do the best you can. You, you want accountability. You want the church. You want other people to be able to see what you're doing. You take risks with a certain person. If, if any of you have ever done foster care, that is a risk. If you go into foster care, I haven't done foster care, but I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. I've actually lived in a, in a foster home when my parents did it in an interesting situation. I was a kid too, so I guess in that sense I've done foster care. But man, if you don't know what you're walking into with foster care, 
You ought not to do it. You ought not to do it. (laughs) How quickly can you get put under the thumb of teenage foster kids who know how to play you? Fast, fast. Foster care is a good thing. Some of you might should do it. I don't know. But you better know what you're doing. Take the right kind of risks. Be wise. All right. So we all have these little entanglements. Some of us in this room may have bigger entanglements. Things that actually are major drains on us. Sucking the life out of us, right? What do you do? Hey, we're still in, we're still in verse 2 here. We're moving right along. So, but I'm going to go to verse 3. Then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor, or whoever. Go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. Feel it for what it is. It's a trap. Get out. Ask God for help. Get out. Go pester that person. Go get a good lawyer for that loan you co-signed on. Get a good lawyer. Deal with it now. Deal with it yesterday. Get out. Get your life out from that. You can't let yourself be there. Talk to Bob. Tell him it's over. Bob, no more $20 handouts. No more. I'm not doing it. So you can't be careless. You can't be lazy with your time and money. Now, speaking of laziness, it's almost like there is a natural connection between being a surety and being a sluggard, being the lazy person who won't get out of bed. There is. It is laziness. Um, And there's more connections than that. Here's just one idea of how you could become, because this is kind of a progression, actually, this passage. It doesn't say it, but it leaves it, it leaves it for you to figure out how you might go from being someone who just entangles himself like this willy-nilly, gives up all his life and money in foolish ways, how you might go from being that to being someone who's lazy. Here's one idea. Here's one idea. The less you have control over the products of what you work for, the more you know, well, yeah, I can do whatever I want, but at the end of the month, I'm just going to live codependently and give my extra cash to someone who asks it for me that I know I shouldn't give it to. Well, soon you start to lose motivation to produce things. You don't get to enjoy it. You know it's just going to go to someone else who's basically stealing it from you. So you, I don't know, not working seems pretty natural after that. That's just one idea. So now here we are at the sluggard. I, uh, (laughs) I, you got to remember this is a dad talking to his son, right? So think of this like if you were a dad and you were telling him all about, don't, don't, don't be a surety, don't entangle yourself. Your son's like, yeah, that makes sense. And then out of nowhere, you're like, go to the edge, you sluggard! Your son's like, what? Are you talking to me? Well, son, am I talking to you? Maybe I'm just talking to the sluggard out there, but maybe, maybe I'm talking to you. Dad, you kind of changed course there. We were just talking. And then you're like, go to the ants, you sluggard! <laughs> well, okay, all you teenage boys, let me hit you first. Go to the ants, you sluggard! You guys hear that? You have, the truth is, even if you're not totally lazy and you're not like this guy, every one of you has a little sluggard inside of you. <laughs> and he's just waiting and hoping and dreaming of the day he can blossom into a full-grown sluggard and lie around all day. Now, that's not just restricted to you, Peter and Daniel. We have other teenage boys. I wish they were here. It's too bad. But um, that's not just restricted to you. It's also girls. Jada, it could be you. Lucy, it could be you. It's also grown men and women. We've all got this little sluggard person inside of us who's just hoping for that chance for a little more slumber. Tell me I don't have to keep on working, you know? 
Well, and that's why I think the father just suddenly starts yelling at the sluggard. Who's the sluggard? Well, maybe it's you, kind of. I mean, I'm not saying it's you, son, but I mean, is it? Could it be? <laughs> you know? So go to the Anne, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So what's, what's, who is this guy, the sluggard? Well, you can see from the instructions about going to the ant. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. What's, what's the lesson that the ant is teaching? The ant's not saving up for Disney World. The ant's not saving up for luxuries like an Xbox or another meal out at Olive Garden or whatever it is. The ant, the ant's just saving up for bread. The sluggard is someone who doesn't even have bread. He doesn't even understand the connection between work now equals food tomorrow. Hmm. No, I'm not buying it. No, no, that's not, that's not true. It's going to be okay. No, I'm just going back to sleep. No, 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 sluggard, listen. Look at the ant. The ant is smarter than you. The ant is better than you. The ant actually gets it. The ant gets... And the ant doesn't need me to yell at him. The ant doesn't need his mom to yell at him to clean up his room. The ant has an internal principle of like, work leads to, I get to eat. And by implication, work leads to all kinds of other good things. Work leads to, I have something to share with others. Work leads to, I could provide for a family one day. Work leads to, I could feed my kids. Work leads to, you name it, a lot of things that we all know. Most of us have gotten the benefit generous gifts in our life as we've grown up from many people who did work, like our parents and grandparents, and maybe helped us through college or something. Well, how did they help us? How did they have the wherewithal to not be starving so that we needed to go and help them? Well, they understood this. They understood this. No one was yelling at them. They understood this, and the sluggard needs to understand this basic connection. The ant gets it. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And then you kind of hear the sluggard talking to himself. That's what I think. Um, a little sleep, a little slumber, just a little more, just a little, uh, just, just leave me alone. Just, just another few minutes. Like, just stop being so uptight. Just, just, I'm okay. Go away. You know. Oh, you can hear the sluggard. You can hear your own little sluggard when the snooze, snooze button goes off in the morning. And, and this is not hard for us to understand and apply to ourselves. How often... Let me apply this to spiritual laziness. How often do I, do I start the day, I don't, I don't have time, look, it's quote unquote, little quote sign, I don't have time to read the Bible, and then I'm going about the day and I'm like, man, I feel stressed today and I feel tapped out. Like, I could really use some help. If only I could take five minutes and read the Bible. You know what? I've decided I have five minutes. YouTube! <laughs> YouTube! Oh, after five minutes of YouTube, my conscience is unhappy. I should be watching YouTube. Five more minutes of YouTube. I'm just tired, man. I'm just tired. Just leave me alone. I just want to veg out. 10, 15 minutes of that, like I have to get back to work. The next phone call, I have to, I have, to have a meeting. We're done. The time is gone. Okay, what did I not get? <laughs> well, I didn't put time in something that would have helped me. I didn't put time in something that would have to be crass, produced a little more peace, right? I didn't, I didn't go to the Lord. If I need, I, I've, how often have I felt that? Like I should, I need to. It'd be good if I could. And then I'm like, I'll waste the opportunity. 
just to be lazy. That's laziness. That's the same principle. You can easily see how that applies to your life in a hundred different ways. And instead of keeping your eye on the ball and thinking, what are the good things I can produce? God is good. God's a rewarder of those who seek him. Anything I do for his kingdom, I'll be more than repaid. I'm not wasting my time working hard for God's kingdom. I'm not wasting my time. You know what I'd rather do than work hard for God's kingdom? I'd rather waste my time. (laughs) I'd rather waste my time. Well, there's the sluggard, and the end of it is poverty comes upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Maybe you know people like that. I, the, the word for poverty is actually, it's not poverty. It's not what it says. It says like the vagrant. Think like the homeless guy who panhandles. It's like that guy. It's like the Hebrew word for that guy. This is what he does. He just goes around, hey, could I bum some cigarettes off you, man? You see him at the gas station. Hey, I need, my, my car's a couple blocks, so I need 10 bucks for gas. It's that guy. It's that guy. And he shows up at your door if you have this attitude. He's like, hey, you're like, I didn't expect to see you here. He's like, well, here I am. Poverty. I'm here to be the leech. And that's what the sluggard becomes, is the leech, right? The person who's lazy, who won't work. In little ways and in big ways, don't just look at the cataclysm. Look at the little ways that you suffer these things because of being lazy, spiritually lazy, physically lazy, whatever kinds of lazy. All right. We're going to go on to the last guy, but let's, let's talk about it. The last guy is, is this, this guy we double up on. We're going to talk about him in two sets of verses, not just one. And we should, think, we should just think, again, this is a progression. It's about how to destroy your life so you understand the surety, person who entangles himself, puts himself under, under people's, other people's thumb. That's bad. You can get from there to the sluggard. And the sluggard's like, well, the sluggard's not just naive. The sluggard's like, yeah, that other guy that we just read about, he let other people take his stuff from him. Well, I'm just not going to produce any stuff. I'm not going to have anything to take. So who's the wicked man? Well, the wicked man, the wicked man is, is the guy, oh, he's producing stuff. Oh, he's working. He's working hard. And what's he doing? Creating evil things creating evil things. He's working hard to produce what's wrong and destructive. That's what gives, that's what wakes him up in the morning. That's what gets him out of bed. Um, and how do you get from being just a lazy bum to being someone who's like that? Well, there's, there, there's, more, than, there's more than one way. Here's, here's one connection that Proverbs makes for us explicitly in a verse. What's the next best thing to destroying other people's lives actively, like this wicked man? Never producing anything good. Never having anything good to give to anyone. Never being able to be helpful to anyone. Financially, spiritually, whatever it is. That's the next best thing. So there you see that, that the slugger, this lazy guy, and this wicked man, aren't, they're actually pretty close. Proverbs 18.9 says, where did I write it down? It's here somewhere. Well, okay, I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it from memory. Um, a man who is slack in his works is brother to him who destroys right? He's not producing good stuff. He's a drain. He's brother to him who destroys. The sluggard and this wicked man are brothers, but there's an, easy, there's an easier connection for you and me to make in our personal lives, which is left to ourselves. If we're not working at something good, if we're not putting our energy into something worthwhile, if we're not focusing our thoughts on God, where does, left to ourselves, where does our, where does our sinful nature take us? How many minutes of not working when you ought to be working does it take you to think of clicking on that website that will waste your time? 
Clicking on a website that actually will not just waste your time, you'll see some evil things. How many minutes does it take you? Five, ten? Of just idleness? Not having a plan for your time and not being willing to have a plan? How many minutes does it take you of just sitting around and being bored, if you're a teenager, before you're like, I just want to stir up some trouble. I just want to stir up some trouble. I'm bored. Stir up trouble with my friends. Stir up trouble against my sister, my brother. It doesn't take that much time for our hearts to start going there. And if you live a life where you're not working hard, your imagination isn't going to sleep, actually. Your imagination is going to start coming alive, but not with good things. You're not giving yourself the good things. It's going to start coming alive with evil things. And pretty soon, the things that you imagine will come out in your mouth. And then they'll come out in what you do. So let me read this, this longer section about the worthless person, the wicked man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him. Suddenly, in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So, like I said, the wicked man works hard. You can see him using all the parts of his body. Like he's dedicated. He's got the fingers, he's got the eyes, he's got even the feet. He's got his mouth, his hands. He's using everything he can to do evil. And it's, it's, it's easy to dismiss this guy because none of us really is quite this guy, right? What are we, Hitler? <laughs> uh, well, we're all like Hitler, actually. We all have the certain qualities at times of this wicked guy that we have to pay attention to and know about ourselves. That's why this guy is here. That's why this guy is here. He has crooked speech, crooked speech, speech that's untrue, that's not helpful to anyone. He winks with his eyes and signals with his feet. It says, actually, scrapes with his feet, which is weird. I didn't know what that meant. And I thought about it a little more, and I realized this is grade school stuff. Like when there's someone, some, some kid, maybe it's a cool kid in class, I don't know. He doesn't like you, but he has his buddies. And you, you, you catch them out of the corner of your eye, and they're all, they're like looking at you. And then they look at each other, and they laugh. And the dude's like, you know, he does some hand signal. You know what it means. His buddies know what it means. They're mocking you. They're getting their kicks. They have their little signals that they use. Like, you know, maybe it, maybe it is that. Maybe he actually does use his foot. We actually, when we're in groups of friends, we do things that our friends understand. And when you're in that kind of a group of friends, maybe because maybe you've been the one dishing this kind of stuff out, maybe you've been the one laughing down your nose at someone else, and you have your little code, right? Well, you use the parts of your body to indicate what? Contempt, evil things. You use, the, you use it to, to show contempt for that person. And you kind of hope that they're watching because they would get the message, actually. It doesn't take that much. Just use your body the right way, laugh a little, point at someone. They understand what's up, right? <laughs> With perverted heart devises evil. The heart, the heart is where all this stuff comes from. And as soon as, as soon as we get to the heart, maybe you understand why we're spending twice as much time on this guy. There's a lot to say about the surety and the sluggard. We could preach a sermon on either one of them. It's not hard because we're all lazy and we're all prone to be entangled. 
but we get, we get twice as much stuff on this guy. And both, in both little passages, sets of verses that I just read, what is it that's going on? Where does this come from? From your heart. From your heart. And you have to understand, because it's easy to forget, that our hearts are all alike. You don't have to be Hitler to have a heart like Hitler. You don't have to be the worst person you can think of or the person you hate to have a heart like that person. You Guess what? Congratulations. You already have a heart like that person. Except for God's kindness to you, that heart would lead you wherever it wanted. You're not as bad as you could be. But that's not because your heart's not the same. Your heart is basically the same. It devises evil things. It's natural to us to devise evil things. And, and we can't be reminded of that too much. We also can't be reminded enough because this is hard to believe. It's, I don't know. I, it's, it's funny how often I find this hard to believe. And I, and I don't like to make the connection between the evil things I do or want to do and God's judgment. But here it is. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. It's verse 15. In a moment, he'll be broken beyond healing. The heart generates evil things. And God says, I judge that. You won't get away with that. I judge that. I'm God. I'm God. The end is coming. Well, I see a lot of evil people get away with a lot of things. Don't worry about it. Eternity is a long time and this life is short. I'm God. I will bring judgment. And we have to lock this into our brains. We have to fix it in there. The fear of God. We have to fix it in there. When we're tempted, when, when we, church-going Christians all, or church-going at least all, when we are like, well, God knows I love him. And God has to forgive me anyway if I look at porn. God has to forgive me anyway if I lose my temper with my wife. God has to forgive me anyway if I, whatever. We, <laughs> this connection which scripture just won't stop pushing in our faces, is what gets into our heart and says, no, 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 a man reaps what he sows. I can't just go along. I can't just go along. I have to keep making an effort to humble myself before God. I have to to keep doing it. There are six things that the Lord hates. All right, so this is repeated, and this is a little thing. Here, let's, let's, um, well, I guess we already learned one new word, surety. We're going to learn one more. New word. Some of you may know it. Anyone here know the word chiasm? Chiasm? Jake does. Jake, raise your hand. Jake knows. All right. Okay, a chiasm. Chiasm is a thing. It happens in the Bible a lot. It's a thing like these six, seven things that the Lord hates. And the thing is, you arrange the material so that the first thing and the last thing kind of match up. And then the next thing and the next to last thing match up. And then so on until you get to the middle. And in the middle there's the most important thing. Does that make sense? So let's just go through this real quick. What's thing number one? Someone just yell it out in this list. Howdy eyes. Okay, what's the last thing? The last thing in this list. So Okay, yeah. So, so start with those. Start with those. I think these go together. Um, so what's, what's haughty eyes? The first thing. What's, what's it mean to be haughty? Peter, what's it mean to be haughty? Snobbish? Yeah. Peter, that didn't sound like your voice. What were you going to say? Snobbish, is that your answer too? Naughty? I think snobbish is actually a good word. Snobbish, yeah, it means like you're looking down on people. You're looking down on them, like you're better than them. Haughty eyes. Okay, what about one who sows discord among brothers? That means one who like unleashes like bad stuff, strife, stress, fights. They make it their business to do that. 
You've all had a brother or sister like that. You've all been that brother and sister, actually. <laughs> you unleashed strife, right? Well, what's the connection between these things? Is it that hard? Let's see. I look down on you. I think I'm better than you. And then I make trouble. You know those go together, right? <laughs> those go together. The pride and the troublemaking, they go together. They go together. And often, one way you can unleash trouble is just by letting other people know we have our little ways. Adults get sophisticated about this. Just our little ways of letting people know, I'm better than you. I'm not like you. I look down my nose at you. And we can be clever about it, but we do the same thing. What does that do? Does that create harmony and love? No, it creates strife. It creates discord. It creates stress and tension, right? Haughty eyes, sowing discord. All right, what's the next one? The next one's easy. Don't even have to think about it. A lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies. You see how the chiasm is working, right? We're just, whoop, whoop. Those two things go together. That's pretty simple. So I'll just ask you, where are you tempted to lie? Where are you tempted to lie and why? Where are you tempted? You you don't use the word lie when you think about it to yourself. Where are you tempted to just bend the truth a little or shave the edges off so you don't look quite as bad? We're all tempted to do that. We're all tempted to be liars. We all lie to ourselves. Where are you tempted to lie? All right, we get to another easy pair. Hands that shed innocent blood, feet that make haste to run to evil. Hands and feet, they go together, like peanut butter and jelly. Hands and feet. Um, hands that shed innocent blood, feet that make haste to run into evil. That takes us all the way back, those two things together, to the first chapter, the gang's invitation, the father's warning against the gang. Son, don't go with them. Their feet make haste to shed innocent blood. That's a paraphrase, but that's in chapter one. And have you, have you ever noticed, like, you might be lazy about doing good things in your life, but if you ever decide to do an evil thing, it's weird sometimes, like something you know is wrong, you have a bad conscience already just because you decided to do it. Have you ever noticed that you accelerate and you're like, as soon as you decide to do that, okay, I'm doing it. Like, we're stirring up trouble. We're vandalizing something. We're clicking on that pornographic website. We're doing it. Okay, I might regret this later, but I don't care now. I'm going to say the mean thing to my wife. I'm just going to tell her. I'm just going to let myself get a little satisfaction of revenge. I'm going to take a bite out of her. Okay, done. Decision made. I'm off and running. It's funny how that works, right? You might decide to do a good thing, and then it takes you like a week to actually do it. Because you're like, oh, do I really want to... Oh. I just want to hang out and I don't want to do this, you know, whatever it is. It might take you a while, but not evil things. Evil things are fast. And the more that you get used to doing evil things, the faster you go. The faster you go. Your hands and your feet, it's like they were made to work together. You don't want that. You don't want that. We're being warned against that. Okay, what's at the center of the chiasm? The obvious thing. The big thing. The big problem. It's the heart. All this stuff comes out of your heart which is I, I like to remind you again and again, maybe I haven't said it a lot yet, but I like to say it in, in, uh, in our modern times, we say head and heart, meaning like your brain and your intellect and then heart is your emotions. The Bible doesn't talk about heart quite that way. Heart is just like you on the inside. The hidden person of the heart is what First Peter says. Is you on the inside 
It's emotions, but it's more than that too. It's thoughts. It's thoughts you haven't thought that you had because you haven't realized yet, oh, that's what I wanted, you know, or that's what I was thinking. It's stuff that's not entirely conscious, but it is all you on the inside. And that's where all this evil stuff comes from. And that's what needs to be dealt with. And that is what all of these warnings about all these different men, evil men, evil women that you could become, that you already tend towards in little or big ways, all comes down to this. All comes down to the heart. And what can be done for your heart? Only God can help you. Only God can redeem your heart. Only God can redeem your heart. And, and God, is, God is the one that we end by looking at. Because there's six things that the Lord hates. You remember that just as all the blessings that Proverbs constantly tells you about. Because it's constantly telling you about blessings. Like it will not stop telling you. Here's how to be blessed. Here's how to be happy. It also won't stop warning you. Here's how to destroy your life. Here's how to have your life destroyed by God, who will bring consequences, right? God is the one it comes down to. Do you trust God? Do you love God? Do you fear God? Do you know God? God is the one who can help you. God is the one who can save you from the evil things you've already done. That's the gospel, right? I'm going to repeat something else one more time before we close, which is that all sin is self-destruction. Nathan said this on a sermon you might have heard about Lady Wisdom's first big rap, her first big speech, where she says, I'm Lady Wisdom, I'm great, you know. He made the point that she makes, which is sin is self-destruction. Sin is self-destruction. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd like to repeat that again. Does anyone mind? Okay. Can I, can I say this again? Sin is self-destruction. <laughs> sin is what destroys you. It's what destroys your life. Sin is self-destruction for a lot of reasons, but not least of all is that God is God. You shouldn't want to sin. You should want to have a good life. You should want to have a good end to your life. You should want to have good things come out of your life. You should want to have good fruit in your life. The wicked man, in the end, may look like he's getting away with a lot of things, but in the end, just like the other guys, he is an example of self-destruction. Everyone's favorite evil man punching bag Adolf Hitler, yes, he's an example of self-destruction. No evil person you could think of who seems to be getting away with things gets away with them. Sin is self-destruction. They will be destroyed. The ground will fall out from under their feet. And whenever you're tempted towards the slightest little sin in your life, you're tempted towards your own harm. You're tempted towards your own harm. Remember what I read you when I started. So I read chapter 8, 35 to 36. At some point, we'll come to that. Wisdom says... I think it's the end of her second big speech, which she'll, Nathan will preach. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So don't be that guy. Don't be that woman. Don't. So much of this is just saying, all right, I give. I believe what you're saying, God. I'll fear you. I won't love death. I won't keep going down a path of self-destruction. I'll submit myself to you. What you say is what goes, and what you say is what's good for me. What you say is what's good for me. And if you, if you have that attitude, you'll see God's favor and blessing in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a good father to us and giving us these warnings. We thank you for being a good father to us and forcing us to see the ways that we are tempted to destroy ourselves, whether out of carelessness or obstinate laziness or simply a perverse desire to do something we ought not to do. Um, I pray for anyone here who feels kind of uh, weary of hearing these warnings again and again. 
And I pray that they wouldn't be weary, but that they would take them as your kindness, your discipline, because we know that you are a father who disciplines us for our good. And we pray that we would accept that and, and see that it's your love for us. And we pray that we would hear these words and remember them as your love for us to turn us from destruction. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.